You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, welcome to yet another Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Mike Chappell, still the absent Mike Chappell, but he will be back, I'm pretty sure, sooner rather than later now, Joe, because it is July. It is camp month. Training camps across the league open just in a few weeks. I know your blood's boiling. Mine is, too. I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm amped. I've been waiting on this since basically the draft ended, so I'm ready for some football. So coming up today during this edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast, we will rank our top breakout candidates for the Colts in 2021. I'm sure we'll define exactly what we mean by that because there can be some, some different takes on exactly what we mean by breakout or big step forward, you know, all that. But anyway, but uh, we'll take a look at a few milestones, perhaps, that uh, team uh, that players can reach for uh, in this season. But first, we start with some news around the league. And finally, at long last, officials have announced that Lucas Oil Stadium will be allowed to hold 100% capacity for Colts games in 2021. Last year, it was limited anything of a range of 2,500 to 12,500. Of course, Joe, a paltry sum compared to 63,000 people screaming uh, on on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening, probably not the evening because you never get uh, home games no. at, at night if, if you're in Indianapolis. But that, that that's neither here nor there. That's me completely jumping off the yeah. deep end, that's going a, that's in a different a past day. podcast. I, exactly. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> we, we've discussed that. But but anyway, that the, the point is that um, that the Colts were the literally last team in the NFL to gain permission to do this entire to have 100 percent capacity. And I've said before, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I've certainly said it in our sports office that. There, there was a 0% chance, zero, that Mayor Joe Hogsett here in Indianapolis was going to approve any kind of opening of restrictions until after the Indianapolis 500. It, it just wasn't going to happen. And, and I understand why. You can be upset at him politically, but this is not a political show, so I'm not going to get into it all that much. Uh, and I would understand either way, like be his point of view and the other point of view. I get them both. But it just wasn't going to happen. But at the same time, Joe, it was always going to happen because literally the Colts were the last team. So it, there was never any fear. Like ev- with with every team that came out and said 100%, 100%, 100% capacity, there was never a fear that the Colts weren't going to join that crew. It was just a matter of when they were going to join that crew. Yeah, and this kind of comes in a sweeping uh, lowering of restrictions, I guess is one way to put it. Uh, it's July 1st today. Marion County is basically fully open. No more COVID restrictions uh, for the most part, it feels it's crazy to think about where we were one year ago mm-hmm. uh, to where we are now. But it feels great. I'm ready for a packed uh, house at Lucas Oil Stadium. I'll be uh, searching around me back and uh, scrounge up some tickets and make it do a game myself. It, it's already felt different, at least to me, once in one or two places that I've been. Even like I was just telling you, I had a roofing crew over at my house this morning because we got some hail damage a couple months ago. And they're finally out there to work on it. But it just it just feels different to be around people and close to people. And, and I'm sure that's going to be the same case at Lucas Oil Stadium. It, it's not a bad different. It's just different. You know, it's going to that first day when there's 63,000 people packed in, it's going to be it's going to be a little weird, but it's going to be awesome. I think after the first kickoff, I, I, I think most people will be will forget about the weirdness and just embrace embrace the joy of being back together and celebrating Colts football and we think they'll probably have a lot to celebrate this year at least many people do but Jim Ursay said in a statement uh, we were fortunate to be able to host fans in 2020 through the pandemic as those fans were as loud and proud as ever but game days at Lucas Oil Stadium are like family reunions and it wasn't quite the same without our entire Colts family alongside us we can't wait to reopen the stadium doors to all our fans so they can take this journey with us as we work to bring a Super Bowl title 
back to Indianapolis. So like you said, Joe, uh, most uh, in, in-game uh, COVID protocols from last season will be relaxed or eliminated. I'm sure that masks will not be required. Who knows about what they're going to do in terms of lines out there waiting for concessions or in the, in the bathroom. They might still keep some you know, some markers on the floor. We'll see if people abide by them. I don't need people too close to me in the bathroom anyway. <laughs> That's <sorry>. right. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that. You stay back. I, I don't even like people talking to me in the bathroom. Like yeah. if, you, if you're next to someone, that, that's the rule, man. You can talk like, to you, me you, once we get exactly, to the scene. Exactly, exactly. That's it. <laughs> but if you're next to me, like, uh, no. Like it, people who come up to you and just they uh, they just turn their head over and like, hey, Dave, what's going on? No, no, no. That, that, that's not how we do things. And I know what's in your hand right now. Let's yeah, save this conversation. No, exactly. Anyway, <laughs> uh, specific information about guidelines will be released from the Colts and Lucas Oil Stadium for games in the coming weeks. Uh, training camp schedule for the Colts has also been announced. The Colts are officially going back to Westfield's Grand Park Sports Campus. Camp first day of practice is July 28th after the players report on the 27th. It'll flow through August 24th. So there's almost a full month there. The full schedule you can find online at fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Now is a good time to remind you you can follow us as well on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to get updated on Colts news and notes throughout the week. Joe is at Roto Street. Joe, you might see a little bit more fantasy t- content on there as the season gets ever closer. I am at Dave G underscore sports. You'll see me tweeting more about high school football now as the uh, the season gets uh, gets closer. I guess that's still uh, still a month away, but nevertheless, uh, my uh, point is made. I, I will tweet about other things in the Colts, but certainly quite a bit uh, about the Colts as well. Um, but w- when you look at Camp Joe, this is something that Chris Ballard uh, has said year after year that he truly values is a camp in front of the fans, just to have a like it, it, it's a valuable thing for the team because there's a little bit of the performance aspect for the players. There's something of the give and take back and forth, even though it's not going to be quite the same as it has been in years past. There's no real big fan interaction or autograph sessions that's going to happen this year, but at least they're back and there's not going to be any capacity restrictions for fans. So there's going to be a lot of people out there at Westfield, even if it's not going to be the same interaction that maybe some of people have had with the players in the past. Yeah, it might not get that autograph uh, or that picture with the player this year, but it'll still be great to get out there, see the players do their thing. Um, it's just great opportunity for the players and the team to kind of connect within the same community there, uh, especially some of the new players. And a situation like this just like makes me think of Kenny Moore because he is connected maybe better than any other player with the community here in Indianapolis. And this is just an opportunity for him to continue to shine with the community. Hopefully by next year, uh, there will be more things like autograph signings and player interactions and stuff like that. But it's great to have uh, training camp back at Westfield. I, I hope we can peel Kenny Moore away from Pato Awards pits in the IndyCar series because he's been <laughs> out at like most races this year, just out there watching, checking out. He's been with Joseph Newgarden a little bit here as well. But uh, the, the South Georgia boy, Kenny Moore, has turned into a bit of an IndyCar fan here, uh, be, being a, a Colts mainstay now with, uh, with that defense. I love it. They'll yeah. have to resign him. Seriously. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure they will. Yeah. Uh, we, we saw what happened two years ago when, when he wasn't uh, on the field as the season came to an end, but we, we don't need to talk about that. Uh, the Saints right tackle Ryan Ramchek is signing a five-year, $96 million extension that includes $60 million in guaranteed money, reported makes him the highest-paid right tackle in the NFL at just about $19.2 million per year. Ramchek was drafted in 2017 as a 32nd overall pick, so right there at the end of the first round. He was a left tackle at Wisconsin. The Saints moved him over to right tackle, and he's been absolutely stellar for him there. He's been second-team All-Pro twice. He's been first-team All-Pro once. And, Joe, this is a big, big number, and, of course, 
Colts fans should pay attention to numbers like this when a right tackle gets paid because the team has said they are hoping to get a contract extension with Breeden Smith done sometime this offseason. Yeah, and this all but certainly raises Braden Smith's price mm-hmm. if he wasn't going to get something in this realm already. Um, Braden Smith doesn't have quite the credentials Ramcheck does. Uh, no Pro Bowls, no All Pros, although there is an argument to be made that he's been kind of overlooked uh, at times in the voting system. Uh, drafted pretty similarly. I mean, 2018, uh, 37th overall, so he didn't get that fifth-year option that uh, Ramcheck did. But, I mean, you look at Braden Smith, and I did some uh, some stats here because it's kind of hard to quantify how well offensive linemen play sometimes if you're not watching them down in and down out, and uh, which is why I love pro football focus. And Smith ranks as fifth among all right tackles in pro football focus grade since 2019, and he's second in run blocking grade during that time, only behind Ryan Ramchek. Uh, and then, uh, again, Smith ranks 12th among all offensive tackles uh, when you're looking at overall grade of across one player's first three seasons in the NFL. Uh, and that's all time since Pro Football Focus has been doing this since 2006. So Braden Smith has played, according to Pro Football Focus, as, at the 12th highest level of any offensive tackle in the NFL. Right or left first, tackle. Right yes. or left mm-hmm. Uh, any offensive tackle in the NFL for the first three seasons since 2006. So that's that's pretty damn good, I'd have to say. It is pretty good. But the, when you get into semantics and the, the details, uh, you know, he's there at 12th. There's another point that you make here, which I think is important. That's among all offensive tackles since 2006. Only Joe Thomas, the uh, former great Cleveland Brown left tackle, produced a higher pro football focus grade in his first four seasons overall than Ryan Ramchek did. Yeah. So, so in terms of players, exactly but. early in your career, like when you're in the same air as Joe Thomas, that's the elite of the elite. Braden Smith. I love Braden Smith. Don't get me wrong. He's not there yet. He's just not. No. And that's okay to say that he's not. You can say that you have a very, very good right tackle and also say he's not at that level just yet. Like that. It, I, 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 don't want to misconstrue what I'm saying, that I love Braden Smith at right tackle. He's going to get a big number this offseason. I think Colts fans will be happy to have him for the next five years. And that's not to say he can't get to that level maybe one day, but I just don't think he's there right now, and that's fine. So when you look at what this means for Braden Smith, Joe, you touched on it earlier. If the Colts are going to extend him something this offseason, you look at some of these numbers, and it's five-year extension and roughly $19 million a year. So if you're the Colts, and if you're us just postulating what this could be, you're thinking probably a four- or five-year extension is what it's going to be. And specifically, I would guess that if they do it this offseason, it'll probably be four years, because then that adds on to the one year that he's already in contract with. So he'll be signed for, quote-unquote, five years. So they signed him for a four-year extension, but if they do this at about somewhere between 15 and 19 million so maybe 17 million will split the difference so you're looking at like a four-year extension worth 70 million dollars something in that range um, is what I would guess for Braden Smith so um, and and I think that's about the ceiling for it maybe they give him five-year extension that's fine um, it's only 25 exactly so. no I, I don't I don't think there's any problem with 
with the Colts wanting to give him five years. That's that uh, that this is something like this is a discussion I actually had on Twitter with somebody else when I was discussing uh, Quentin Nelson's pending extension. Because you look at this again, you're like, geez, Quentin Nelson's going to get just the Brinks yeah. truck backed up to his house. Um, and and but but with Braden Smith, the Colts want to sign him right now for they would love to sign him for an eight year extension. But Braden Smith wants a four year extension because he wants to be a free agent again in four years. Hit the market And again. by then, the contract levels are going up. The salary cap has gone up. Like People have gotten bigger deals over time, so you want to get locked into a higher number four years from now. Most players want some security, but they also want the flexibility to be able to negotiate again in their prime. And that's why you get one extra year in your prime with a four-year extension if you're Braden Smith. So he and his people would be so much more willing to do a four-year extension than they would a five-year extension. If you, if you, then maybe a five is is in the cards. I don't know exactly what's going going on in in the deals with Chris Ballard and Braden Smith's people. But if you do a five-year extension, if you're Chris Ballard, then you need to up the price a little bit because that again takes away from what Braden Smith is able to cash in on in his career it's just one less year which could be a big deal when it comes to uh, negotiating contracts down the road it's one less year of your prime to be able to kind of hold in your like in your back pocket there as you're discussing things with with uh hopefully chris bauer down down the line is what uh what i'm sure all colts fans would want to believe that their conversations would continue ongoing and Braden would keep growing as a player and he never leaves this building you know never leaves this city and, and this franchise but so so that's why like, I, I just want to provide that context to you out there who, so you understand the process a little bit better. Sure, the Colts would love to lock Braden Smith down, Joe, for the next decade of his career, but it's just not going to happen. No, and it, it would almost benefit the Colts if they did um, because, like you said, salary cap's only going to go up. But, yeah, I think $17 million is probably about what Braden Smith is going to get. He's not quite at that ram check level as we laid out, but he's pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. And uh, this just kind of goes to show what we've been harping on all offseason. Why aren't the Colts trading for Julio Jones or signing this guy or that guy? Well, they got to pay Braden Smith $17 million a year, and who knows what Quentin Nelson's going to get in a year. And Darius Leonard's contract is up even before Quentin's is because he didn't have the fifth-year option. So there are a lot of people who are going to get a lot of money uh, on the Colts very soon. Yeah, when it comes to Quentin's, and this was what, again, my, my discussion was about on Twitter, like just exactly how big is, gonna, is his contract going to be. I was like, geez, is he going to hit triple digits? And somebody just responded to me, yes, obviously. But then I was kind of going through some of these details with him, like, well, it depends on four years, five years, you know. And so if Quentin gets a four-year extension after next year, then maybe he hits triple digits. He'd have to be at $25 million a year. That would be just record-breaking for a guard. For a guard. Like, yeah. everybody here loves Quentin Nelson, let me tell you. But paying $25 million for a him. guard, I know, except, <laughs> except Chapel. He's, he's not here to defend himself. Uh, so, so, so we can say whatever we want. <laughs> Mike thought Quentin Nelson was terrible. No, Mike wanted Bradley Chubb. <laughs> <laughs> Mike just wants to know what Chris Ballard would have done if Bradley Chubb was still available in that draft. That, that's what he wants to know, and he will never know. Uh, none of us will ever know. Uh, at least we'll, we'll, the only thing we'll hear is Quentin Nelson would have been the pick. Yeah, but but anyway, like the record contract right now i believe for a guard I, I looked it up yesterday when i was having this discussion i think it's about 18 million dollars a year okay. for a guard so he'll probably get so, 20 to 22 exactly that's what i think it's going to be so again if it's a five-year extension that nelson gets next year after his five years after as a first round pick then yeah he'll definitely hit triple digits but if it's only a four-year extension i just don't think i don't think quentin nelson i don't think a guard 
will merit $25 million a year. I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a jump that quickly. So, um, I, I, And I, I haven't looked at any linebacker numbers specifically for Darius Leonard, but he's certainly going to get a big hefty sum, as, as you were referencing earlier as well. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, with... It might be a hundred million if you include the fifteen million he'll get from his um, fifth year option. Right. Yes. Um, so including that, you know, it's kind of weird with these extensions. Like, what do you include in the new contract and what do you not? Um, but yeah, Quentin's going to break the bank. Darius, I've actually seen some rumblings around like Colts. Um, I guess Twitter lately kind of just like, is Darius Leonard a linebacker going to be worth all the money that he's going to command? Mm -hmm. And it's a legitimate question just based on linebacker not being the most valuable of positions. I hope Darius is taking these tweets, printing them out, and lining his locker with them. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> but to me, Darius is just so much more than the linebacker. He's almost the heart and soul of that entire defense, and he's what makes it go. He makes the game-changing plays. So... Uh, Darius is almost different than most of your in a, he is different than most of your average NFL linebackers or even the good ones. He's a great one, so I think he'll be worth it. But I, I mean, but back to Braden here, they're gonna have to pay Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson. I, I'm sure they're gonna want to extend Ryan Kelly at some point, and then they'll have to figure out what they're doing at left tackle. Uh, we all said draft, 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 and then they sign Eric Fisher and Chris Ballard is talked about potentially extending Eric Fisher. So, you know, I don't know how they're going to make it work with the money, but uh, these NFL franchises always seem to find a way until all of a sudden they don't, and it comes crumbling down like Pittsburgh yeah. and uh, New Orleans and whatnot. But we'll see. Chris Ballard has done a great job managing the cap. Him and his uh, team in that front office there have done a excellent job with the finances. So let's uh, hope that continues. Yeah, we've already seen a couple stories over the past month, month and a half from – I think a couple quarterbacks have restructured their contract to turn things into signing bonuses in order to to free up some salary cap space. And and I, that, this is one reason I really value Mike Chappell uh, it, when he's with us in this room, that he adds some context to the historical nature of what the Colts do. And just so they just don't do things like that too often by uh, by increasing signing bonuses and playing with the cap that way in order to fit players under the cap. Are you looking up who's uh, who's tran transferred some of their salary into a signing bonus? I was actually just looking up because the Steelers recently, because of salary cap reasons, had to cut all-pro guard David DeCastro. Yep, I saw that. And that's the kind of situation you find yourself in when you go for it year after year yep. after year. Um, so I, I was just bringing that up because in a few years from now, if the cap isn't managed right, maybe the Colts mm -hmm. have to cut a Braden Smith or... Yep. You, I mean, you look at the, their free agents next year. I have a list of them right here in front of me. You got Darius Leonard and Braden Smith. Those are the two big ones. But we've also mentioned that Naheem Hines is in that group as well. Um, we can maybe push him down the road a bit, but we know how well, we know how you feel about running backs. Joe. I don't think they should resign Naheem Hines, but that's, that's just, me. Whoa, whoa, just me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, you hate NC State. <laughs> just like just like the NCAA hates NC State baseball, makes them go home and sends Vanderbilt on to the College World Series final. Joe Hopkins as well hates NC State. I just think funds would be better allocated elsewhere. You've got Eric Fisher as well as a free agent next year, like you mentioned. Marlon Mack, a free agent next year. I'm sure you don't want him back either. Jordan Wilkins. That's three running backs, though. Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines, Jordan Wilkins. You can love Jonathan Taylor, but at the same time think that Boy, if you get rid of all of your running backs besides Jonathan Taylor next year, that would that would be a probably a big hill to climb for whoever would have to come in as a backup. But Mark Lewinsky, T.Y. Hilton, Kamoko Ture, Xavier Rose, Tyquan Lewis. Um, so so there's a big 
big list of list of names that are important names right at the top, plus a bunch of guys they got on one year deals as free agents this year. So like that, that's obviously like we'll get to that eventually. I, I don't I don't mean to look too far in the future here, Joe, but but this is what what Chris Ballard always looks into the future when he's negotiating these deals as well. So just trying to get trying to get the best deal possible for yourself, for your franchise and uh, and lock down the players that mean the most to you moving forward. Really just emphasizes the importance of hitting on your draft picks. Yep. I mean, the way the NFL formula is set up with the salary cap these days, you can afford to pay a handful of players, but then other than that, you need to get top-level production out of players on rookie deals to be relevant in the league, and that's what we saw at Tampa Bay last mm-hmm. year. They had several rookies or players on their rookie deal uh, – give forward excellent performances, mm-hmm. especially down the stretch. Tristan Wirfs comes to mind. So the Colts are going to have to hope they hit on Quiddy Pay and some of the other players they draft this year and next year because they're not going to be able to pay everyone. As long as we're talking about Quiddy Pay, we figure that he could be a breakout candidate for some people. So we will transition into our discussion about the Colts' top breakout candidates for 2021. Now, Joe, how I thought about this um, is really I, I thought more so than um, – more more of the going from a level that you're not really known across the league to where you are known across the league by more so the common fan un- understand uh, understands who you are so like i think some people look you look at that question you might say oh jonathan taylor is a breakout candidate this year because he's going to be the full-time starter and maybe you think oh he, he can rush for 1800 yards and 20 touchdowns well i'd say well, okay, that's a significant increase. Maybe he's a pro bowler this year for the first time. I get that. So you can make that argument that he's a breakout candidate. I just view it differently in my mind. He like already I said. broke out. Exactly, and, and, and I do too. And you, you might say the same thing about Braden Smith in, in that light. Like Maybe he becomes an all-pro right, right tackle this year, but I think he's already really staked his claim as one of the better right tackles in the league right now. And I think even, we're on the same page. Okay, that's kind of how I approached good. it as well. Kind of players who haven't really earned the right to be known yet right. in the NFL and then maybe they're not a full-blown superstar pro bowl yeah. player yet but they're at least someone who the rest of the league has to take notice of. I, I think I, I'm going to start on the defensive line because first of all I think somebody go so ahead is this your third yeah number this three? Is, yeah sure this is number three but I, I think somebody has to break out on the defensive line first of all you, you get rid of Danico Autry you get rid of Justin Houston there is a massive someone vacuum better break right out exactly so like so that line. so that's why I look at that area right now because somebody has to in, in order for things to go well yeah um so like instead of just throwing a dart at a, at a dartboard with 53 names i'm at least throwing a dart at a dartboard with only nine or ten names now um and, and you throw out deforest buckner and i would throw out grover stewart as well because he just got paid last year people know who he is so really it's probably going to be one of the defensive ends and, and from there on i think there's a lot of guys that you could you could look at i think a lot of us agreed that kamoko Ture had a good chance last year if he was healthy unfortunately he wasn't healthy he was on my list exactly and i would understand if somebody wanted to put him on the list again but right now i'm looking at taekwon lewis right there last year taekwon lewis had four starts for the colts in his 16 games that were played and during those four games he had two and a half sacks if you translate that over to an entire season that's 10 sacks if you start every game so that, that that's a pretty darn good number for taekwon um in, in those games so I, I think that he's going to be given the opportunity to start. I think that he's going to be a defensive end that can move into the inside very much like Nico Autry was last year. So you go into the inside during during the passing downs and then they can bring in uh, Ture on the outside or whoever else it might be. Um, but but I think like I, I, I'm I'm picking out Lewis in this group because because he's been in the system a couple years. He's gone through a bit of adversity uh, near in his second year. 
when he kind of he didn't necessarily get the full Ben Banigou treatment like we saw last year. You never want to go full Banigou, no. no. <laughs> uh, but but he he was he kind of fell in the doghouse for a little while, but then came back last year, which is I'm sure exactly what uh, Matt Eberflus, defensive coordinator, wants out of Ben Banigou this year to see kind of a Kamoko Ture step forward after falling into the doghouse. But like he came back, he earned a spot, he earned a role, he earned some starts, and I really think that he can be a productive player. And he was he's going to be the first player, I think, that is given the opportunity to do so. So I think Kamoko Ture, for me, is my breakout player, number three on the defensive line. Lewis. Yeah, excuse me, Taekwon, I, I, Taekwon Lewis. What, what did I say? Kamoko Ture. Taekwon Lewis, my fault, is is my number three bit breakout player uh, for, for the Colts this year. Gotcha. We, we were thinking along a similar uh, kind of path there with the defensive end, because yeah. I was like, it's got to be somebody. I thought about uh, Taekwon Lewis there, but I'm going to go with Quiddy Pay. Um, it, for several reasons. One, kind of like with Lewis, he'll likely be the week one starter. He'll get every opportunity. I agree. Um, we've talked about in several shows how he's a freak athlete, um, maybe the most freakiest athlete at defensive end available. In the this most draft. freakiest. The most freakiest. You can quote me <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, and I, I just really like his mental makeup and what we've seen through since he was drafted. You kind of got more of a light into that. Um, so I think he's going to have the right stuff from the get-go. The Colts passed on a top left tackle prospect in Christian Darisaw because they thought pay was so much better. I mean, really, if you just break it down to positions and not the players as much, the Colts should have taken Darisaw to plug in at left tackle. They don't have to worry about paying that position for five years now, and then they can figure out the rest. But they liked pay so much that they passed on that. Um, because they thought Pay was going to be such a better player. And then they just kind of continued to put faith in him by not bringing in an established uh, veteran defensive end present. And they probably could at this point on a pretty cheap, not cheap, but $5 million, you know. Cheapish. I know what you're saying, though, yeah. Affordable contract. Um, And I kind of went with a little stat prediction for each guy here. Mm -hmm. Uh, My stat prediction this year for Quiddy Pay is 35 total tackles which would have been more than any defensive end had for the Colts last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight sacks and 10 tackles for a loss. If he gets eight sacks, you're you're thrilled. I am thrilled if I'm a Colts fan if Pay gets eight sacks. So I, I would say that's a little optimistic. I, I think I I'm would... High if, I, I'm high on him. I know. I can tell that you're high on him, and that's cool. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons to be high on him. Um, but like I, I think... I think he's more along the lines of a five, five and a half sack, maybe in his first year. Maybe that's the ceiling. Um, it's, I guess it's not the ceiling is not the right word. I because uh, I think he could certainly get up to the eight. But uh, that's maybe what I think he could do and consider that to still be a pretty good year. Pretty good rookie year. That's maybe sure. a better way to put it. Um, I think that both Lewis and Pay are going like you said, they're going to be the starters on week one. So I think maybe I'm just leaning more toward Taekwon because because of his experience. Yeah, pays um, a huge unknown. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'd rather go with somebody that I know a little bit more about, and uh, I I have warmed up even a little bit more to Quiddy Pay when when he was drafted that first night. He spoke with the media and he didn't have the best best. Like I judge people by their media interviews, and no one else does because you're not in the media out there, and I I understand that. But he just had a it was a weird interview, but but then you gotta got gotta understand that. It's a whirlwind night for that guy. So yeah. it was, you know, so the next time he spoke to us, he was great. He he really was. So I came around, and, and I shouldn't be judgy like 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 I was in the moment. <laughs> um, but but anyway, that's um, 
that that that's that's neither here nor there. I I I think both guys are, are legitimate candidates to break out. I just lean toward Taekwon a little. Well, bit, hopefully I guess. we're both right and we get ten sacks from Lewis and eight from Quiddy Pay. There you go, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> so you have eighteen sacks from your bookend defensive uh, defensive ends, and along with Quiddy Pay. I mean, along with Tomoko Kamoko Ture coming in with seven off the bench, you know, <laughs> and then Dio Dangbo gets healthy and is blowing up the middle with DeForest Buckner. DeForest gets uh, twelve sacks. We'll get to we'll get to that number in a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I think, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, I think so. We're both in agreement that that somebody needs to step up on the defensive line, and certainly on the exterior is where we're focused. And like one of those two is is are those two are probably the most two likely candidates for it. Yeah, if there's not a breakout at defensive end, the season probably won't go quite how the Colts wanted to. My second breakout candidate this year is in the secondary. And there's a lot of different places you can go in the secondary, I think, for breakout candidates. Xavier Rhodes is the only player, or Kenny Moore as well. Those two are, are two guys that you really can't, I would say you can't touch. They have broken out. out. People know who they are. After that, anybody there can be a breakout candidate. Kari Willis has started there for a while, but he has not earned any respect out. Well, not, that's, that's the wrong way to put it. He hasn't earned big respect around the league as, as a playmaker in the secondary. Justin Blackman had a couple of really nice plays early in, on in the season, some game-winning plays, but then maybe faded or certainly didn't flash as much down the stretch. Uh, I don't know if he hit a rookie wall. I'd be interested to ask him that question. Uh, I just haven't had the opportunity to talk to him. But, um, but those two, those two are, are certainly uh, think, uh, people that you can make an argument for. But I'm going to go with cornerback. And I'm going to lean once again toward this. This time it's actually the one that's that I know less about than than what I know knew more about on the defensive end. I'm going with the corner I know less about in Marvell Tell oh. over Rocky Scene. And I liked Marvell his first year. I think that a year off with him might have like it not that it was a good thing, but I think that he could be it could have been a productive year for him. Um, for those of you who, uh, who have forgotten, Marvell Tell took the year off due to COVID, uh, excuse me, opted out of the 2020 season and now is uh, making the return back. So it, it completely depends on, on what he did over the last year, like how active he was. But since he was moving from safety to corner in the first place, there was a lot of mental work that needed to go on in Marvell Tell. And so I think some time some quote-unquote time away from the game could be good in terms of developing him in that area. Like, even though he wasn't playing for the Colts, I'm pretty sure he did a lot of work and got some game film and got a lot of, like, yeah. he got a lot of uh, feedback or assistance from the coaches to, uh, or assignments, I guess is the best word to put it, to, to really study, to really go over and to really put some work in by yourself. Um, so... With so I'm leaning toward Marvell over Rock Yassine because Rock just hasn't proven to me that he has it yet. And Rock's like the opposite of um of Quiddy Pay to me in terms of first impressions. He gave a great first impression. I I I loved him from the get go with with us. He was he's always been very honest about I think about his play. He's been willing to answer the music when it when it comes up, which it has unfortunately more than once for him. So so I I hope he does well, but I just I just. I just can't say that he will. I, I think that the uh, the unknown of of Marvell Tell is actually better than what we do know about Rocky Scene right now. 
and 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 I hope I'm wrong about that in Rock's case, uh, just like I said, because I really like him and, and I enjoy interviewing him, and I hope to do it for the next ten years. Heck, for crying out loud! But um, but Marvel, I like Marvel. He has more of the well, not more, but he certainly has a prototypical big cornerback body. He looks a whole yeah. lot like uh, a, a Xavier Rhodes. And he's also he's also this is this is like something that's completely kind of separate, but he is represented by Lee Steinberg, the sports agent who uh, represents a lot of big names. Um, let's see, um, Patrick Mahomes is one of the biggest ones that he represents. And we had Lee here in the studio a while back, um, talking to him uh, just about uh, about his story, which is a remarkable story if you haven't read it. I know Lee has a book out uh, about it, and I know he was the guy that they um, what's it called? They they kind of modeled Jerry Maguire after after him in his in his younger years, but uh, but. Lee doesn't just represent anybody is kind of what what I was what I'm also thinking about when it came to uh, Marvel Tell. I think that he saw something good in him. So so I I give him a little bit more benefit of the doubt as well about the uh, the skill of this kid. So so I'm leaning toward Marvel Tell for my number 2 breakout candidate for the Colts in 2021. Interesting. I also went to the secondary, but I'm going with Julian Blackman. Um he just like you said flash. He showed so much potential as a rookie. Uh, really started his rookie campaign hot after being thrust into a starting role following Malik Hooker's injury. Uh, he started off with two passes defended against the Vikings, and I believe one of them was kind of tipped and intercepted. Mm-hmm. Um, two weeks later, he had an interception and three passes defenses against defended against the Bears. And then two weeks after that, he had the game-sealing interception against the Bengals. Let's not forget about the forced fumble he had against the Packers in overtime that really sealed the game for the Colts. Uh, I was scared, nervous when Aaron Rodgers had the ball only down three with a chance to win the game. Um, And you mentioned his drop-off. He did kind of drop off, and maybe he did hit a rookie wall down the stretch there. Uh, Through his first 11 weeks of his pro career, Blackman was pro football focused highest-graded rookie in the league by over nine grading points with a grade of 73. Which is a lot. Which is a lot. Yeah. Um, He really cooled off down the stretch and posted a grade of 46 from week 12 on. So dropped from 73 first 11 weeks, 46 the last several there. I think he did hit a rookie wall. Still made PFF's top 25 rookie list from last year. And let's not forget... You know, he's now a second year removed from the torn ACL that he suffered December of 2019. So it was amazing just that he was on the field and held up for all those games in the first place, or at least as soon as he was. I think week two against the Vikings was far sooner than we had anticipated. Um, So second year now, get more comfortable. Hopefully he can just kind of maintain his pace during the first 11 weeks. Uh, my stat prediction from Blackman was 65 tackles, 12 passes defended, and three interceptions. 12 passes defended is a lot uh, for a safety. That would be that'd be great. So if yeah. if you figure that he's the guy who kind of covers, who might step in and cover the tight end a little bit more, it's maybe something that would uh, would happen. I don't know if it might be. Like, he it, had six last year. Okay, yeah. So so twelve is a good. It's a good aggressive projection. Be a breakout. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like this, that, that's what this is. This is saying guys who could break out in twenty twenty one. So so and and like I said, I get that totally. And I I think that uh, this happens to a lot of rookies, whether they're they're good players or even bad players who 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 hit a rookie wall. So um, just because a player hits hits that wall around week week twelve week thirteen of the year doesn't mean oh well 
they, they have this ceiling that they just hit and they can't get any better. That's that's not how it works in the NFL. It's it's a different game. It's uh it's a different level of competition than these kids have seen for their entire lives. Some guys will take to it right away. I think a great example is Darius Leonard, who I didn't see a rookie wall for him. Quentin Nelson never had a rookie wall. He got better as the season went on, I thought. But other guys might not. And that's fine. Again, it goes back to you. Know, you, you, you I, I Like I was saying earlier, it's OK that like. Braden Smith is not as good as Ryan Ramchek. It's okay that Justin Blackman hit a rookie wall. I'm not trying yeah. to, to like, put anything against him. Or not everyone's going to be a first-team All-Pro. Right, yeah, and and and, and you you should be very happy with, with what you have back there in the secondary. So, um, like, I, I I still think Kari Willis, like, he's, I don't think he's, I don't know if he's ever going to be a breakout player, Joe, but at the same time, he's so steady, and he's so solid back there. I don't think, I, I haven't seen, not that I can recall, anything in the first two years of his career where I was like, well, shoot, obviously Kari really missed that play. Like yeah. when I'm looking down and I'm watching the game from the press box, I just can't recall that ever happening. Well, that's part of the reason I didn't pick him is because I already kind of feel like he has broken okay. out. I, see, I hear you. You know, I think he's more underappreciated than anything because he doesn't, he's not going to come up with five interceptions. He's not going to make a ton of game changing plays. But he's just going to give you solid performance time after time. He's not going to miss a coverage or an assignment. He, he's he's going to be that guy, like, if he was Madden, he'd be rated, like, 84 for his entire career, and he'd be a rock-solid player back there. But he's never that guy who's rated, like, 95, and you're like, oh, right. man, this guy's a stud. He's yeah. just good starter that you never have to worry about. And I think, you're again, again, you're really happy with having him there, especially if you have playmakers around him. If Justin Blackman can be a playmaker, you love to have Kari Willis next to him, a guy that just is steady and sure. And he even had a pick six last year, didn't he, against um, – was that in Oakland or was that – I think that was against the Raiders. Okay, yeah, I thought so. Um, he at least had an interception. I don't know if he brought it back for a touchdown. I thought he did. I'm trying to remember the highlight the in my touchdown. head. I yeah. can't remember if it was it. I think it was like the running back juggled it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Right that's there. right. Yeah, that's yeah. what happened. So, so yeah. Um, so I think we both agree on kind of two two s- sort of places: edge rusher, secondary, and I think we'll probably agree on our our uh, <laughs> position for for number one breakout candidate. Let's see if we actually agree on the person. But uh, I think another position that that really does need a breakout candidate that has the potential to do so is wide receiver this year. Um, and, and heck, you could you could even include Noah Gragson, Noah Grant, uh, Noah Togiai is is the tight end. Uh, Kylan Granson is the tight end. The other one uh, in, in this discussion, but um, somebody needs to step up after T. Y. Hilton. And I, I do think T. Y. has a resurgent season, so you certainly can't call it a breakout season for T. Y. Hilton. But I do think T. Y. is going to return to some of the um, some of the stats that we've seen from him in the past. And he he's going to have to think long and hard whether he really wants to retire at the end of this year or not. Um, we'll get to that at the end of the year. Um, but but if he has some of those numbers that he saw with his old friend Drew back there sl- slinging the ball to him, it's going to be a really, really tough decision for T.Y. at the end of this year, whether he wants to, to hang him up and the Colts or, or bring him back. Yeah, good good point, Joe. Really good point. Um, but, but after T.Y., it, there's a cluster. Um, and really a two-person cluster because one of those two guys, Michael Pittman Jr. or Paris Campbell, needs to be a legitimate second threat, a reliable threat, uh, a reliable target, and uh, be a, a playmaker at times when they are needed. And, and you can look at both guys, and you can say that they both have those characteristics just in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um when I look at 
Michael Pittman Jr., I certainly see the potential to be a number two receiver in the NFL. But I think that with the way the Colts spread the ball around so much, I think maybe his strengths are not quite at the level of a breakout this year just yet. I think that Paris Campbell has a better chance to break out. So he's my number one breakout candidate for 2021, Paris Campbell, because he can do, I think, more with fewer touches than Michael Pittman Jr. can. So that's really the main reason that I'm leaning toward Paris, because I think they'll both get a similar amount of share in the offense. But Paris, I think, has the ability to to do more with less. Now, could the Colts make Michael Pittman more of a deep threat? Yeah, he's a big dude. He can go up and get the ball. And that's something that Frank Reich said all the time uh, when he was a rookie, like when, when they drafted him. They, he praised that ability to go get it and jump up and get it. They but didn't give him a lot of those opportunities They last didn't year. last year, and that could be more of a Phillip Rivers thing. I think Carson Wentz will give him a few more of those opportunities, and maybe that's why. I don't know what, what way you're leaning. We haven't talked about this yet. but This works out perfectly because hey, I went with Pittman there Jr. There we go. There you go. So, so I can make the case for, for Paris. You make the case for Pitt. So for Pittman Jr., I mean, you know I love this guy before he was even drafted. 34th overall pick. Um, he was placed on – had a rough start to his rookie year. He was placed on IR October 3rd with a car, car, compartment syndrome <laughs> yeah <laughs> compartment syndrome in his calf which don't look up pictures on that it's pretty gross um no problem <laughs> but he returned in week eight after the bye and from week nine on he played 80 percent snaps in all but one game so he was very involved in the offense weeks nine through 11 he had three straight games of 50 plus yards including seven catches for 101 and one rush for an additional 21 yards against the Titans, six for 66 and a touchdown against the Packers, uh, two of the Colts' biggest wins of the year, uh, Packers and Titans there. And then he had five catches for 90 yards and a rush for 11 yards in the playoff loss to the Bills. So I really like Pittman Jr.'s game. I think he's going to connect with Carson Wentz a little more. We already saw he surprised me with his ability to run after the catch last year, or even on these rushes. Like, usually when your teams are handing the ball off to players, they're not giving their six foot four wide receiver rushing opportunities. And that touchdown against the Packers, I mean, he caught that sh- pass over the middle and ran outran everybody for 50 yards. So I do think Pittman Jr. can do a lot of damage uh, with few touches. Maybe not as much as Paris Campbell. He's not quite as fast. Um, but I do think he can do a lot with a little. My stat prediction for him is 65 catches, 900 yards, and seven touchdowns. I like that, and I, those that's all all very good, very well said. Um, and I think that could certainly all happen. Um, I, I think that that Paris could be a really dangerous guy in the red zone. Um, and, and one thing that that Carson did. A couple times, just a, a few years ago, when when Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator in Philly, there there was a lot of really clever play calling in the red zone and around the goal line in particular. And we we've seen a little bit of that already here with Frank. Like I, I we've seen some some shovel passes to a uh, to Trey Burton. I think last year, I think Eric Ebron caught one or two shovel passes as well. Um, and that could be a tight end type of thing with Kylan Granson, no doubt. But that can also absolutely be a Paris Campbell type of thing down there. Even and, those end rounds, I think they yep. used um, Pascal on a couple times. Yep, yep. And, and I think that that's like that's prime what Paris Campbell does. So 
So that's maybe another reason I lean more toward his way, because I think he might get more red zone opportunities. But still, like you look at a 6'4 receiver, maybe if you throw it up and uh, a little bit more this year, yeah, let let Pitt go get it. Um, so, so you can certainly make that argument as well. I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic at the start of this year to see if Carson Wentz develops a favorite, if he sticks with a favorite between those two guys. Um, cause I, 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 th- I really do think T Y is going to be, be the top, the top dog of this group again. Okay. But, uh, and, and but a lot of people could, will disagree with me and they think T Y is on the downhill side of his career. And, and I'm not betting against T Y Hilton. I, that, that, I say that's fine for a lot of a lot of arguments both ways. I really don't see it happening that way, so I'm not going to say that's fine about that. I really think Ty is going to have a good year. So, um, but but I if if Paris can stay healthy, and that is that is the biggest if that I'm gonna that I'm gonna say during this entire podcast, Joe. Obviously, I, I really think that he has the potential to be to be very dangerous. And really, right now, you know how the Colts are viewed in this in this aspect with Paris Campbell. It's. It's not in the best light because that year when they drafted Paris, young guy by the name of Terry McLaurin was drafted after him, who was his teammate at Ohio State and is on the verge of all pro level at Washington. He's right already now. broken out. Yes, exactly. Terry McLaurin's breakout. DK Metcalf was drafted after Paris Campbell. He's already broken out. Yeah. So was A.J. Brown drafted before him? It I think was he was drafted just before. A few yeah, picks just a few before. picks before. But, but that's again like puts you in the same like the same area as, as that other receiver. And A.J. Brown has certainly broke out as well. So far, it's kind of one of those which one does not belong type deals. It, it totally is. And and injury has I think much more of a reason to do with it than ap- than skill of the player. So again, we're not trying to take away from Paris's skill, but he's just been snake bit by injuries. And just it's not just like oh a tight hammy that's really bothering him, the the speed guy. It's it's weird stuff like the leg thing. Like he got in a car accident and got a nasty concussion. Like he had a hernia surgery or something like that. His his it was like just all these awful things that happened to a kid. And and at at some point you you as a Colts fan you would hope that that luck certainly turns around. Um and 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 if it does. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what he can do, if he can match the level of some of those other guys, which uh, there was a reason that he was taken uh, at that point in the draft, because the Colts think he can as well. And if you have Frank Reich designing plays and Marcus Brady designing plays to get him the ball, I think it could be a really intriguing year for Paris Campbell. Yeah, if, if it wasn't for the injury concern, Paris and Pittman Jr. would be a lot closer in my mind as far as which one will break mm-hmm. out. And I might even lean Paris just because I think he fits so well in this offense and what they want to do. And we saw that week one, just slant, 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 pepper him in these targets. And then you give him enough touches and he's going to break one of them. Um, So I really love Paris Campbell. I hope he can stay healthy. It's just Pittman Jr. uh, over his time has shown to be a little bit more durable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like his skill set as well. And I think he will kind of, we've talked about how Carson Wentz will be a better fit. For T.Y. Hilton, I think he'll be a better fit for uh, Pittman Jr. Uh, as well. I think Paris Campbell would have been the perfect fit for Phillip Rivers, who just wants to get the ball out of his hands quick and let the receiver do all the work. Um, not that Wentz will be a bad connection with Paris, but I just think I just think Paris, I just think Pittman Jr. is going to be elevated a little bit in his second year with a new quarterback who can kind of help. Uh, highlight his skill set, and I think that's a good argument. It really is, and and we saw just the glimpse of what 
what Paris could do with Philip last year. And so it's unfortunate we didn't get the, the chance to see more. But um, there, there's a couple guys, Joe, that we didn't talk about, I think, that might show up on other people's list that I think we should at least mention. Um, I, I've talked about the tight end, Kylan Granson. I'm just gonna, not going to call him a breakout candidate if you're a fourth-round pick not yet. You know, in the NFL. Yeah, Titans yeah. take time. Exactly. Anyway. Like, maybe you're, you're, you're able to, and, that, and that's great. But, but yeah, give, give him a year, and then maybe he's on this list next year. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he can do in what's certainly going to be a limited role this year. Um, I think Bobby Okereke will show up on a lot of lists for people in here. I'm not putting him on my list for a couple reasons. Like, I really like Bobby, and the Colts obviously do because they let Anthony Walker walk away to the Browns for a sum that there wasn't a ridiculous amount of money to go over and play in Cleveland. Um, and we know that how much the his his teammates appreciated Anthony's presence in this locker room um, because they, they've said as much, and Darius, has, Leonard especially, has, has said as much. But, um, but the writing's been on the wall for a couple years now that that spot was Bobby's to take. Um, the reason that I'm not putting him up here just yet is because he he hasn't made those same splash plays that somebody like a Darius or a Kenny Moore or a Julian Blackman have. Like I think he's done well in in pretty well in the tackle department, but he he's not getting in the backfield and making sacks. He's not really getting in the backfield and making stops. He's not forcing fumbles. He's not consistently getting. I think he had one interception and one forced fumble last year, I, I, if I remember that correctly. And that's it. And he played 16 games, or maybe he played 14 games at least. But yeah, but he played. A, yeah, games. he played 14 games. He was he was on the field a lot, and he had a good number of starts in there too. Maybe six to eight starts. Um, so so he he saw a lot of the field, but he's just not he's just not flashing yet. And maybe he does. Maybe he does break out this year and he starts flashing alongside Darius and Kenny right in that range. And, and, and he does deserve to be on a list like this. I'll, I'll give you that. But I just think there's going to be more opportunity for other people to break out. So that's why I'm leaning in those other three directions that I did. Yeah. It, even if Bobby Okariki breaks out, he's still going to be the number two linebacker. Whereas some of the, you know, Paris or Pittman Jr. could be the top receiver for the Colts this year. Yeah. Tyquan Lewis Could. or Quiddy Pay, one of them, those two, will probably be the top defensive end for the Colts this year. And, uh, you know, in the secondary, Marvell Tell probably won't be the top corner, but Julian Blackman could be the top safety if he really puts it together. Um, so I kind of agree with you. I think Bobby Oriki, by default, will have a breakout season because he'll completely take over that role that he was kind of sharing with Anthony Walker towards the end of the year. Uh, he did have over 70 total tackles last year, so if that goes from 70 to 90 or 100, is, how much of a breakout is that really? Mm -hmm. I, I think he has a good chance to hit 100. I really do. Yeah. Um, but but like I said, I just don't think it's going to be just quite that next level to, I guess, slot him in. and Breakout for him might be like three interceptions and four sacks. Yeah, something like well that for sure. I don't, know if, I don't know if they're going to blitz him quite that much, but I'd even be happy with like three interceptions and two sacks from him or three interceptions yeah. and 10 tackles for loss or 15 even tackles for loss would be great. Um, but because I think he's going to be on the field a little bit more and you'll have a little bit more of an opportunity to do that. So now, and he has played well in coverage. I mean, he had six passes defended last year. And mm -hmm. if the Colts are going to blitz, it's probably going to be Darius. Right. And then you leave, they're going to leave him to cover the tight end Bobby Okariki to cover the tight end and let Darius go get the quarterback. Cause he's pretty darn good at that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so and they so, might have to blitz more of those defensive ends don't work that's out. That's true. That's a great point. 
And uh, that that leads me to my to my extreme dark horse breakout candidate, which would be my guy out of Syracuse University, Zaire Franklin, who's now <laughs> going to see some more time at linebacker because uh, because Anthony Walker is gone. He's now the number three in the rotation, Joe. He's that guy who's going to come in, maybe spell Darius, maybe spell Bobby, and he's going to take over that spot. He's going to be all pro by and season. If there's seven. an injury, he's a starter. That's right, he is. <laughs> hey man, but, like it takes a lot for a seventh round pick to. To, to earn the kind of trust that he has right now. I'm, I'm saying. It, I'm just saying. It does. There's there's not a lot of seventh-round picks that stay with their drafting team throughout their whole yep. contracts, let alone yep. earn uh, any kind of starting time. So good for Zaire. And, and and props also to Matthew Adams, who's done the same thing. I'll, I'll add that, because uh, he's still on the roster as well, and they were both taken in the same draft class, both linebackers, Adams out of Houston, and Zaire, of course, out of the uh, the fine institution of Syracuse University. So, <laughs> and Zaire also like, and I'll add this too. He's certainly he's also a leader. Like you wouldn't expect a guy who's been mostly a special teams guy, and has rarely seen the field on defense to be a leader in the locker room. But last year, when the social unrest was going at the start of at the start of camp, with uh, after the George Floyd incident, like it, it was, there were two guys that stepped up and spoke to the media and talked uh, about their experiences and talked about um, like just gave the team's perspective on this. They were Jacoby Brissett and Zaire Franklin. And we know what people in the locker room thought about Jacoby. They thought he was a great leader, and they would have been happy with him, I think, a quarterback in, in terms of a guy that they could get behind and follow. And and for, for someone like Zaire Franklin to step up in that type of scenario, that, that should make everyone who doesn't know who he is take a step back and be like, who is? Why is this guy talking? Well, it's because he's a leader in that locker room. I mean, he's not the guy like Darius who's going out and getting a hundred sacks and five tackles, five interceptions and five sacks. But he's a guy that people listen to when he talks. And I think and anybody, yeah, exactly. And anybody who listened to what he had to say last year could, um, could 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 hear that immediately that that he commands the respect of the people around him. So that that that's that's my orange orange man of the day, uh, Zaire Franklin, and uh, a, a very deep candidate to break out. I'm surprised you didn't throw EJ Speed in there, Joe, with your love for him. Maybe he gets five blocked punts this year on special teams. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> Maybe he surpasses Zaire and gets a little playing time. Easy uh, now, easy now. Hold on. <laughs> If I had to go with one honorable mention, it'd probably be Rocky Sin. I'm not ready to give up on him yet. I really liked him. I think he was my breakout player coming into last year, and he just didn't quite... I think he he definitely got better from his rookie season to his second season, yeah. but he didn't quite put it all together like uh, his coaches and teammates and fans had hoped. Um, so he's got to be a little more consistent, but I think the potential is still there for Rocky Sin to be a very reliable good above average starting cornerback. I don't think he's ever going to be a, you know, Stefan Gilmore, Patrick Peterson, but he can be a good starter on the outside. Yeah. The Colts aren't going to give up on rock just yet. And, and again, Chris Bauer just talked about uh, how, how Charles Tillman grew in, in Chicago. Cause he was there in Chicago during some of that time. And a good player uh, yeah, comparison. Too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and at the beginning of his career, peanut wasn't all that great. Like he was, he was okay, but uh, he took significant steps in year three, year four of his uh, of his career and that's what rock is in right now it's in year three right now so so it, it, these are this year is huge for for rocky scene it's huge for a guy like ben banigu who's in the doghouse last year in year three uh in, in the nfl so like like it takes these young guys time to develop not everyone as we've said is ryan ramchek and is an all pro in, in the second year of your career not everyone's a quentin nelson who's first team all pro the first couple years of his career these guys are rare exactly and it's okay to have the other guys. You'd wish that they were all pro right away, but you got to be patient with them. And and I've heard Chris Boward say that time after time after time when it comes to Rocky scene that he is being patient with them. Eventually, that patience is going to run out. 
It's not going to be at the start of this year. I can promise you that. Rock's going to get the opportunity to be out there. He's probably going to be out there a lot more than Marvell tell at the beginning of the year. I think Marvell could come in and get three interceptions. I think that would be a good breakout, three or four interceptions from Marvell tell in a really a backup role turning into more of a starter role by the season's end, if indeed he has taken that last step forward over this last year. So, again, that's that's kind of going full circle back back to my point about Marvell in the secondary. Mar-Vell. Yeah, exactly. So he's officially um, your boy now. I he hope might you be. Realize yeah, Marvell. <laughs> yeah. So he he has to fight uh, Darry uh, not Darry. He has to fight Zaire Franklin <laughs> in, a, in a cage match to see who's going to be my boy. But we did plan to get into some statistical milestones that uh, some Colts players might miss this year. I made a reference to Darry uh, to DeForest Buckner in twelve sacks, but I'm that's going to turn into a deep tease. Because we are starting to run out of time here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast, so if you are if you're if you're so upset that uh, we didn't get to possible statistical milestones, you can get to me on Twitter at Dave G underscore Sports, and you can let me have it and just let me know how awful of a podcast host I am because we couldn't quite <laughs> get to all of the topics we had on the sheet this week. But hey, that's what we do, man. During this time of year, we find things to talk about, and then we go down the rabbit hole, and then sometimes you can keep on digging, and you can find some some stuff to talk about, some stuff to debate. And uh, some some dif- different reasons to to lean one way or the other. So um, anyway, I, I know that we're going to have chat back sooner rather than later. I'm not going to promise next week because I'm not exactly sure what his plans are. But uh, it, there's only a couple weeks now, Joe, until training camp. And then we're going to be uh, a couple of us. I know Mike and I will be out at Westfield for sure. Um, I don't know what plans we have exactly yet, but I, there's going to be a lot of Colts camp coverage from us on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You will certainly see interviews from players, coaches, Chris Ballard as well. He always talks a day or two before uh, camp camp begins. So uh, so you'll you'll get either special episodes throughout the week, or we will include them here in our normal podcasts. Um, but but like we said at the beginning of the show, Joe, the, the time is ticking down now. And and as much as we love the off season and and all these topics, we get to debate and discuss and kind of break down what we expect to happen. Now the expectation, the time for expectations, almost almost gone. It's the time to prove it, and that's why everybody loves the NFL, and it, it's about to be here once again. Yes, sir. I can't wait to see Quiddy Pay get those eight sacks. <laughs> we'll see about that. So we do thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Please subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. Or heck, like I said, maybe even more than once a week with uh, the additions of some interviews coming up as training camp kicks off in late July. So we thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>